right, here we are. All right. Uh, welcome, everyone, to episode 34 of Rumor Requirement. Is that right? I, yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, oh, wow, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. It's been 34. Uh, Rumor Requirement, a podcast dedicated to reason and resilience in the time of Trump. Yeah. I am one of your co-hosts, Kamala Shrout, and with me, as always, is Miracle Jones. Yeah, that's true. Um, we like to start every podcast with checking in with each other because that is the way we recognize that politics is personal. So, man, how have you been? I'm still out there looking sure. for looking for work. You know, trying trying not to feel ashamed of my joblessness. <laughs> trying to you should say, not feel enjoy it. it. Yeah, I will say that just from my experience of looking for a job, even while you have a job, can be really uh, grating emotionally. Right, and I think like the ups and downs of maybe thinking you have an interview or you have a job offer and you don't. Oh, it's just it's just a emotional roller coaster ride, and yeah. Like because you really, really, uh, you get really excited about a job, and then it, when it doesn't come through, it's just yeah, enervating. Yeah, Maybe. for sure, for sure. And you're also like, you know, if you're you're trying to sell yourself as a product, which right. is horrifying and uh, dark. That is, it is horrifying. And dark. I, I would say that at least in some ways I made my peace with it because I felt like I was selling a product I could believe in, <laughs> which is me. So, um, and that's, uh, and it took me a while to get around to that and to get when I, I've like the more, the better I got at selling myself, the better I felt about my job prospects because I was like, Oh, I am providing something that's interesting. So, um, or maybe I just started to believe my own shit. Yeah. I don't know. I think you immediately read as like competent and smart. How long, how long have we known each other now? Maybe like three years three or so? Three years, yeah. Yeah, it takes about five years for me to like... <laughs> uh, yeah, I think, it, well, I think it just takes a while to get used to selling yourself. Like I have a, a buddy who is looking for work and he's having and hauling because he has to move his family and it's uh, it's hard, right? Like, I mean, it's it's hard to know how to sell yourself and know how to how to put your best foot forward in the job market for sure i'm also looking for work in a dying industry yeah so that's kind of hard too you know because it's very cutthroat for that reason yeah and uh also people are just cutting staff everywhere yeah um and you know i'm out there as more staff gets cut from other places you know that's just more competition for the few jobs that are left and then field that i'm in right right so, like when the gothamist went out of business and dna info and all that yeah it's just like hundreds of people on the new york job scene with the credentials that i have as an editor so that is true that is true that's gotta be yeah but uh yeah no i'll find i'll find something yeah absolutely the 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 world of publishing and editing isn't dead yet yes that's true you can always move to germany it's true maybe i will (laughs) you can always move uh, to germany Um, how have you been how's everything out out there uh everything out there is i mean it's cold in new york city um cold as shit we uh I think we just all went out to dinner, um, but I was, we were talking, and over the past couple of weeks, I've made a real effort, I and my wife have both made a real effort uh, to get in touch with people, and so uh, part of this is like, it's the New Year's, and you send an email, and they, and you uh, try to say like, okay, well, we should meet up, We, we I haven't seen you in a while, so let's hang out, um, so we saw something like, um, like 15, 16 people in the past couple of weeks, which is a lot for New York because yeah. for the most part, it's one-on-one meeting, so you have to like schedule a lot. So I'm exhausted, and I don't want to see people again. It sounds like you're job interviewing for friends. <laughs> I am. <laughs> well, I, I don't think that's... I, I think, well, since I've crossed 40, like ha- making a new friend yeah. involves some sort of... It's the hustle of a job interview with the like 
obsequiousness of trying to like get a date. Yeah. Like you're like, oh, you're so great. You're like, yeah, something like desperate for both love and employment. Can you imagine that? So that's how that's what it is to try to find uh, like a friend when you're like crossed forty. So do you get like energy and joy from other people, or do you feel like you're spending it? Uh, I don't know, actually. I think my wife is someone who definitely gets energy. And in contrast to her, I feel like I'm neutral. Like, some people I really like, some people I really don't. Um, In general, I'm pretty neutral about the experience. I think it's better for me to be interacting with people than not. Um, I also feel like I'm not bad at it, but it is something that I'm a little uh, neutral on. But I I, I will say that I want to, along with the New Year's, that's why you... We were reaching out to people. I actually felt like uh, with my friend who passed away uh, at the end of last year, I definitely would. I remember I saw this in my to-do list. Like I have a to-do list, and like one of the items is get back in touch with people, and one and his name was actually on it. And I just came across that in a, uh, a few weeks ago. So it's just like I just have to be in touch with people that are close to me. So. Uh, I can bitch and moan all I want, but I I am going to make an effort to be um, to reach out to people as much as possible this year. I think so. That's a warning if you're listening to this podcast. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you better come up with your excuses. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so that's what that's what's been happening. It's been pretty social. It's been cold, um, but in general, it's been pretty good. Um, I and my wife are trying to uh, lose a little weight. We put on a few pounds, and uh, we're trying to figure all of that out. <laughs> Um, so that's that. Yeah. You want to talk about your specific mechanism you're using to yes. lose this weight? Yes. <laughs> so they are, um, what does my wife call them? Challenge pants. <laughs> Challenge pants. So the idea is that we put on enough weight or enough girth that we don't fit into pants we did fit in yeah. to um, two or three years ago. And so we're going to try to squeeze in uh, to some pants. And it's been actually pretty bad because I've had to like use as many pants as I can um, from my wardrobe because I, I go back to work now. I didn't work it in an office until October, right? So I, for years and years, I didn't really have to worry about that. But so I've been really trying to go th- rifle through my closet and nothing fits now. Um, it's been bad. Um, so I, uh, my wife wants to, wants to take on the pants. Um, she wants to be able to fit into pants that we could fit into two or three years ago. So we'll see how that goes. Good luck to you. Uh, <laughs> we, yeah, weekly pants update, maybe. Yeah, yeah sure, sure. Um, How do you do? You feel like you know less? Um, I feel okay. Yeah. I, I definitely like. I'm not exercising as much as possible. Well, you know why you're putting on weight? It's like the worst winter we've had in like yeah. five years, right? Like I don't know. I mean, like I, I, I feel like every time I'm like, I, every time I criticize myself, you're like, oh, let me make an excuse for you. That's okay. I, I've just put on weight because, like... I'm not making an excuse. I'm just saying, like... It, you don't I mean, need to rationalize no, my like, failings. I, I, walking outside for the past, like, two months has just been a painful yeah, prospect. It has like, been. For everybody, right? It yeah, sucks. I mean... We're all just trapped in our homes. Yeah. And, there are reasons why I put yeah, on weight. I just yeah. don't think I, I need to... Uh, I need to... I need to actually deal with it, so, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I can get my modeling career back on track. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you're you're way skinnier than John Hamm, TV's foxiest man. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Uh, you want to transition to politics? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so much going on right at this moment, right? Yeah, so we're recording this on uh, Friday night. 
what is today's date? The 19th of January? 19th of January. Uh, 2018. One, one year since the inauguration. Well, one year since the inauguration, and on this very uh, blessed anniversary, <laughs> uh, the government is about to shut down. Um, so I have... Uh, this is a good question. I really want... I really wanted to hear your answer to this. What do you think the Democrats should have done? Mm. I think the Democrats are in a position to get a total win out of this situation. Yeah. I think they can get everything they've ever wanted and more, right? Yeah. I don't I I think I think they're going for that and they might get it. Yeah. Like, they might not, of course, might go all spectacularly wrong, but yeah. I think they might get a clean DACA bill, yeah. chip funded, yeah. the government back in order in a short amount of time, and uh, no promise on the wall or any special conciliations on immigration, right? Right. The, the right wants. And as a result of this, uh, the ultimate cherry on top, right, would be a tantrum by Stephen Miller, which leads to his <laughs> resignation as a result of the president not... Uh, being far right enough, which is which would be great for John Kelly and the rest of the people around Trump that are not Stephen Miller, and then business of the our slow gilded age presidency can return to its, like, <laughs> its grim, sad stagnation, <laughs> grim, sad fate of just minting money yeah, yeah. for our plutocrats. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's really interesting. Um, so, do you think that? Do you think that's likely? Do you think they're going to get everything they want? I don't know what leverage the Republicans have. They have they have all three branches of government. Yeah. I don't see how this falls on anyone other than the Republicans. Yeah. But I, no, you know what? I, I, I So I've seen polling that actually says it's split somewhat evenly. Like 30% blame the Democrats, 30% blame the Republicans, and 30% blame, blame Trump. Trump. Yeah. 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 So I feel like... I feel yeah. like Does he count? Yeah. <laughs> Is yeah. he his own entity yeah. now? Or are we just yeah, yeah, yeah. acknowledging that yeah. he's his own entity? Yeah. Um, and I think it's significant, right? Because this is a, a congressional negotiation, right? Yeah. That 30% or something like 28% support uh, blame Trump. So yeah. uh, it's clear that he is a deal maker par excellence in the minds of so many Americans. Right. And anything can happen here. I mean, of course, the Democrats can can fold on this entire situation because right. of Manchin and Heitkamp, people in, in vulnerable districts. Uh, as a, but they need nine. They need nine. They That's need nine. So many. I don't. I don't think there's that many senators who don't understand that they have nothing to lose. <laughs> yeah. And is there anyone who's defecting on the Republican side? Graham. You know. Yeah. It's his bill. Yeah. And so with Graham, you probably get McCain. Yeah. With Graham and McCain, you probably get Collins and Murkowski. Yeah. And then you're you're looking at Heller as well. He's in a vulnerable. He's in Nevada. Yeah. You know, his constituency is dreamer heavy. Yeah. Uh, and then you have the Texans, who I don't think they give a shit one way or the other. Really? Yeah. I mean, Texas is doesn't want a wall. I yeah. Mean, it would be very bad for Cruz and Cornyn to run on that. Is anyone? So I haven't seen anyone else talk about. Uh, defecting or saying no, I think they're they're willing to let the Democrats take the blame. Of course, why wouldn't you? Right? Yeah. yeah, I mean, you want to see how things fall, but the, this is this also isn't a fussy tax item. It's not about you know balancing the budget or like uh, something that bores people. This is about like human lives. So the yeah. drama is there too on the Democrat side. You yeah. know, like about chip. It's about it's about the two like worst most cruel things you can do. Right. right? Like. Health insurance for children, and then like 
you know, deported right. people who are brought here as children. And there's sort of a weird messaging on kind of the reactionary right where they're like, how can Democrats want to pass CHIP? Um, how are they willing to sacrifice CHIP for DACA, right? Mm. And I think if the Democrats message clearly and say we want both, yeah. there's no compromise. Which they should ask for both. Yeah, yeah, they should absolutely ask for both. Yeah. They should ask for every both and then puppy dogs and rainbows, yeah, right? Like, I mean, yeah. Just ask for everything. And this is the virtue of strategy, right? right? Like when Trump got a minor, very minor win six months ago when they passed a funding bill uh, and it looked like he did a deal with Schumer and Pelosi, yeah. right? When they passed this like six months funding bill, they kicked the can down the road yeah. until now, right? Yeah. And now, when the shit's up against the wall, right? Yeah. Now he's got no leverage, right? Right. He's got it. Would have been way more strategic and better to have that fight. Yeah. Uh, six months ago, but he did not do that. He went against his own party, right, in order right. to do that deal. And now they have every reason to blame him for the situation he's put himself in. Right, and he absolutely has backed himself into a situation where he has to maybe sign a bill that guarantees that his base is going to do him in. So yeah. it's, a, it's Zug's way. It's going to be, it's gonna be and a win-win win either way for Democrats. Yeah. Right? Either they push him to not yeah. sign the bill and he takes the blame for that yeah. or they push him to sign the bill and he takes the blame for that from his base. The only thing that'll I think the only thing that'll drag this around, uh, drag this out rather is that Mitch McConnell says that he only wants to put something in front of the president that he'll sign, right? Mm-hmm. So he doesn't want to go through a veto round. Right. So I'm not exactly sure what kind of sway McConnell has with the Democrats. Mm-hmm. But um I think that could actually prolong the process, right? So we won't actually see like this grandstanding veto round where they give him something that doesn't have a wall but does have DACA funding, right? So I wonder what Trump's kind of veto power allows. For right, and the, the, how that changes. The third way is, is kicking the gan down the road further, right? right. So like a, a short-term funding bill that is like a weak funding bill or four weeks, I think, when right. it's all proposed as well. So something like that would also, I don't know, give everybody the chance to declare victory momentarily while they cobble something together and then nobody takes a hit for it, right? Right. I, I just think that they, we all know that this is going to, if we have to do this in four weeks, mm-hmm. I think most people are going to get very, very tired and very, very angry at Congress. Yeah, and they should. They would lose a consistent. Yeah, they, there's, on both sides of the of the fence, I think Congress realizes they would lose. If they if they bring up this debate in four, month, uh, four weeks, then yeah. Mm-hmm. They absolutely deserve to lose their job. <laughs> um, interesting. So, uh, I, uh, anything else you want to say about the shutdown? No, I mean, other than how how what role do you think the Democrats' strategy has played in what we're looking at now versus Trump's incompetence? Right. Are we looking at something that you know the whole the the shithole controversy right so this is an interesting thing Stephen Miller basically did a back back end run where he yeah. like called all the like right wing immigrationists um, and they said no we're not doing this deal we have uh, and, and they had convinced Trump that this was a bad deal for him and then Trump got very when finally when Durbin and Graham had come back to him uh, he was very agitated and he was maybe um, just not clear and and angry and got angrier and angrier um and daddy said no so stephen miller asked mommy right right mommy said yes and yeah then now daddy knows that mommy said yes and then they're fighting That's yeah exactly <laughs> and so and so uh in the end what happens is that, so this he makes some comment right some shithole mm-hmm. comment 
it's egregious, but it's also baked in, right? We know yeah. this about Trump. We know that there's the, there are a lot worse allegations out there that yeah. have, we're yet to have the tape of. Right. But and I'm not talking about the P tape. I'm talking about the the, the Access Hollywood tapes or yeah. all the like outtakes from The Apprentice and things like that. So there are a lot of rumors that he said far worse. Or he regularly says far worse, but. What was interesting is how the information got leaked, but I think what it did, and this is why I think both sides seized upon it, was that it allowed both sides to walk away from that negotiation because it would have been, there is middle ground in immigration. There's clear opportunities for horse trading where you uh, enhance border security, you could build a wall, whatever. I mean, you, you give a SOPS to Republicans while you work for a DACA bill and maybe some sort of path to to sensible um, uh, immigration reform and citizenship pathways to citizenships, right? So you, you can do all this kind of horse trading. Um, it's just that the bases are so locked in that um, something like a shithole comment um, allows neither of them to do the hard work because it's much easier for them to say, we've stood by our principles, we didn't compromise. Because the minute you have compromise, then... Um, the bases are just unhappy, and especially on the Republican side. I think the Republicans have a lot uh, more to lose on the immigration issue than the Democrats, right? So if Democrats give up border security for DACA, that it's a win. But if the Republicans give up border sec- uh, get border security in exchange for DACA, it's a loss. So I think that's what happened. I think the the le- either the leak was strategic, or the ensuing kind of kerfuffle around the leak was strategic because it allowed both parties to walk away and say, hey, we kept stuck to our principles. Because immigration's become a, a, a huge defining force on both sides at this point. For sure. And, you know, uh, Graham doesn't just represent the great state of South Carolina. He also represents the military. So he, I'm sure, uh, was displeased. And I'm sure the generals around Trump were displeased to see things go. Because they have an interest in uh, DACA as well, being is that a non-trivial percentage of our armed forces are immigrants who... Yeah. Uh, were you know they want to maintain the oath that they've taken to, right you know be citizens worth serving in our military right there's a curious question though around general kelly who yeah. is probably one of the more strident and probably more sympathetic um uh voices among the generalships or the praetorian guard that now sure. surrounds uh donald trump in terms of immigration especially the way that he sees uh the risk coming from the southern border right yeah. so um, he certainly, I think, in this case or in this kind of latest round, has sided with people like Tom Cotton and has has raised the issue of risks of immigration. And I think that's that can quickly veer into some very ugly um, stereotyping. But I'm not exactly sure where General Kelly is in general about his 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 views on people or or race. I I'm not going to cast aspersions on his on his general kind of moral outlook but i think when it comes to things like border security he can go pretty right wing and pretty hawkish and i think that's the voice that trump was listening to at the time yeah although he did come go on tv and say that trump's position on border security and the wall was uninformed uh during the campaign and that he has evolved as he's learning more about the actual problem which trump then disagreed with and that's why I also qualified what I said about General Kelly was that that was who Trump was listening to at the time yeah yeah. right 
three days later, he's listening to someone else. Right, I guess. right, right. So it's 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 hard to it's hard to to keep it uh, all straight. Uh, yeah, but well, we can see that uh, as far as the greater strategic project of informing the American people, they're getting them on your side. I believe that the Democrats have done a better job the past year and you know, pushing for. I think people are more to the left on immigration. That than they were when Trump became president. Yeah, I think he's really hardened opinions, yeah. and so there is a core Republican base that is stridently anti-immigrant, and you see some really ugly, ugly voices come to the front um, from some of the fringes, and even a fringe. I mean, not such fringe, not such uh, far right um, media outlets. Like Tucker Carlson mm-hmm. certainly hosted a couple people that put out some really ugly, ugly opinions on race and immigration um but i would say that the democrats in general have coalesced around the idea that they really support immigrants which wasn't true maybe 10 or 15 years ago yeah. right and it's still not true in some elements of the democratic party there's right. certain elements i would rather we not talk about it like the sanders wing or the yeah yeah, yeah who see that the job issue is more important than protecting the rights of immigrants right and uh, in, in england it plays out with corbyn as well same same situation where Polish guest workers are a real problem, and apparently, yeah, hence the need to remove <laughs> remove all trade relationships right. with the rest of the continent. Same deal. I mean, I think I think we'd like to. I think there's parts of the left that would like to see NAFTA repealed, for instance, for that reason. They have, do not acknowledge the level of virulent anti-immigrant sentiment in their beliefs, but it's it's, and I think those voices on the left have been minimized, which is great because the they can you can draw a parallel between them and Breitbart now, and I think that's embarrassing to those voices on the left, which yeah. is good. They've been kind of uh, uh, smothered to death, which is great. Good job uh, right. by with Chuck Schumer's you know uh, blue gloved medical hands. <laughs> they've been choked to death. <laughs> what do you what do you think is gonna happen? Just quick prediction, since with the with the DACA stuff. Like, with the DACA stuff, yeah, um, the shutdown, the wall. Uh, I don't know because I think that getting DACA approved kills Trump's relationship with his base. Yeah, I think they're, they're but really, it has to be approved, doesn't it? I mean, not yeah. getting it approved kills Trump's relationship with America. So, yeah, I I don't know. I think fucked. Is he just fucked? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. It could go either way. Yeah. I I don't know if he's going to sign DACA without like a huge wall with his fucking face on it, <laughs> right? Like it'll just be somehow shaped as Donald Trump's like weird. Coiffure. Well, but what if the Senate passes something? Yeah, uh, I mean, he's got the veto power. He, yeah. may, he may, he may pull out the veto. If he's vetoing a DACA bill, that's not going to be good for Donald Trump, <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, if he's personally vetoing a DACA, I think bill, it, I think it plays well with his base. Just yeah. like, I mean, his his approval ratings have actually ticked up a little. I don't, but I, don't, I think his approval ratings would go down if he's, <laughs> if he's the one. <laughs> I that mean, is that is fair. Um, you know, one of the things that I thought maybe worthwhile is that maybe we should lay out our arguments for immigration. Yeah, all right, let's do it. Yeah, so I'll take the economic side, and maybe you take the, the social side, the social and moral or yeah. the cultural side. Okay, unless you don't want to do. <laughs> no, that. no, no, no. Go for it. Yeah. So you can. Know, why is immigration good? So I'll take it because um, we're both hardliners in immigration. That's right. Yeah. I mean, we're 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 very pro-immigration. I think yeah. a lot of people who just live in New York City are going to be very pro-immigration. Right. Even the more conservative people I listen to, who are based in New York City, tend to be pretty pro-immigration and they're solid republicans so 
why I think so from an economic point of view there in general tends to be uh, a gain in society when you bring in immigrants right so especially when you're talking about skilled immigrants but even to some degree uh, lesser skilled immigrants what happens is that immigrants tend to provide services that locals don't um, or in certain ways or start to fill in niches that the locals don't and that allows uh, that allows new opportunities because they start to bring in money um, where there wasn't there wasn't money there and then they themselves spend in the economy um, so there's always an argument the classic right-wing argument or it used to be left-wing argument is that if you bring in more people you lower wages and that's not necessarily true empirically we there have been many many studies there's one economist in particular um, at Harvard, a guy named Borjas, who's made kind of a career out of claiming that more migration tends to lower native wages, especially for people who don't have high school, uh, uh, high school educations. Uh, I would find, I've always found his work pretty problematic. Um, low-skilled immigrants tend to uh, uh, sort of compete with low-skilled immigrants, right? Because low-skilled immigrants have a number of disadvantages that don't allow them to place themselves within the same job uh, market as even people with low skill uh, who have low skills or low education but are American right so there are language skills there are cultural issues or networking skills so low skilled immigrants often complement rather than compete with even low skilled natives um, on the other side the higher skilled um, immigrants tend to fill out jobs that aren't being filled that there aren't we don't have the capacity to fill um, and so they are not only bringing in uh, jobs, these are jobs where um, even if you bring in 10, 15% more, the wages don't necessarily, um, the wages don't necessarily drop all that much because there's, a, there's an Ill inelasticity, which is a fancy word of saying that the more people you bring in, you don't necessarily lower wage because there's such demand for these kind of jobs. So uh, the more people that come in, you don't lower wages. And what you're doing is you're adding a lot more to the economy because these people are bringing in a lot more money, they're they're high highly skilled jobs, um, and they can bring in spend money, hire people, um, even some go on to start businesses, if, especially if they're entrepreneurial. Um, yeah, Darwinian sense the sort of person that's wanting to come to a, a foreign country, you know, uh, and start over, or, you know, is probably going to be somebody who's you know motivated and right. kind of badass. Right, exactly. So the people who are willing to take those risks, especially in a country where we don't have a a uh, very strong safety net, right? Like you're really here to seek opportunity. You're not necessarily like it, your network or your connection to government or your ability to take a lot of money from the government in, in terms of um, benefits is limited, right? So you have uh, high skilled, high skilled workers are actually hugely important because as the American economy progresses, um, we are in dire need of things like engineers. Like it used to be doctors, but it's a, a lot of engineers and computer scientists. And there's no way that we will be able to fill that gap because uh, business very much demands these skills. And we are not able to train our the native population in this kind of numbers to meet the demand. We don't need any more fiction editors. <laughs> yeah. Stay out of America, fiction <laughs> editors. Yeah, right, right. We, we want our own guilds. Yeah. That's what we want. We want a gilding system. So, so there's a strong economic argument. Also, in a macro sense, 
we are aging. We need to bring in as many young people. This is the one thing. When people talk about the decline of America, the one thing that America has a natural advantage of is that it brings in immigrants, right? It has a. It used to have this comforting, welcoming culture for immigrants. At least it had for several decades. You used to have a lot of empty land. Yeah, we still have empty land. <laughs> yeah. um, we are pretty good at integrating immigrants in general. And so uh, we would be a worthy place to immigrate to as we start to compete for the younger populations to come in, pay taxes, um, and support our retirement funds and our benefits. Right? It's one of the reasons we have freedom of religion in the first place. Otherwise, we would have locked that shit down. Cause, <laughs> you know, that's if, but by having freedom of religion, we at the time we opened ourselves up to every country in the world. We were taking, we we're not taking sides in the right. Protestant, Catholic, right? Because uh, we needed the we needed the people, and yeah. there's always this kind of healthy need for labor in yeah. America. <laughs> Some people argue it's exploitative. I would actually say, based on economic research, it's not exploitative, um, and it can be a huge benefit. Uh, the one thing that I would also argue that is completely disingenuous from uh, people like Tom Cotton and, uh, what's his name, Purdue, uh, Steve, uh, are putting forth an argument that they want to end chain migration, which, you know, is, is uh, a way that people can sponsor their relatives, even distant relatives. And there's probably less of an argument around that. Which, to me, I, I find that actually... A counter argument to the economic issue because if ideally you want people moving here and starting lives and families not working here and sending money home right right i think it's also about building in a network right yeah. like um so that you know people who come here who already have a network mm -hmm. um can better integrate right, right. like so it's not just it's not just about kind of being lost they, if they won't there's always this tension right you have to have some sort of network in order yeah. to in order to survive, but at the same time, you don't want such a network that you don't assimilate. Or, right. Or I, would, I, would, I would go even further and say chain migration prevents terrorism, right? Yeah. Like, well, yeah, I mean, I think that's an extreme point, but right. I think I think you do need, it's helpful to have people who do have a network, who have a connection, so they don't, um, aren't effectively lost to the system, mm. or they, they, don't, they, they don't wash out, they don't... Um, Become criminals. Yeah, or criminals <laughs> or go back, right? right? So you right. want people who have a network um, so that, that they can help them integrate, right? That's how often chain migration works. Um, there's an, You can make an argument, you don't necessarily, this is not a hill you want to die upon, but in terms of low-skilled immigrants, I've already kind of put forth that argument, but in general, what Cotton and Purdue want is not only to cut out migration, right? Cut out chain migration and low-skilled immigrants. By the, the way, no one wants to go to Arkansas. You're fucking fine, <laughs> Top Cotton. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but, they, but they are eventually going to move towards reducing high-skilled immigration. And there's no argument that you want to limit high-skilled immigration into the U.S. And as a matter of fact, it, the reason that you can tell their argument is disingenuous is because what they would do is they would take those chain migration numbers and they would ratchet up high-skilled migration. If they really cared about the economy, mm -hmm. uh, right? Like they would want, they would say, well, we don't want chain immigration, we want more high-skilled workers. But it's They're not, not doing that. It's about racism. Yeah, it's about <laughs> cultural misgivings and whatnot. So they will cut down different categories and then they will reduce high-skilled immigration. So you can tell that this argument is disingenuous. It's not an economic argument. So that is it. That is my that is my thesis on immigration and economics. Oh, wait to you, sir. <laughs>
I mean, it's trite to say, but we are a nation of immigrants, like literally, right? Yeah. I anybody who's talking anti-immigrant shit is doing as creating a national security risk for America because that is that is our chief comparative advantage against other nations of planet Earth is our moral high ground that we achieve by being good to and trying to scoop up the world's immigrants who are here for the same reasons other immigrants have come, which is economic opportunity and f- liberty of conscience and uh, and and press, right? And all yeah, the- and I, you know, and one of the things that often gets bandied about is the fact that you're bringing in people who are not in tune either with America culturally or mm-hmm. America politically, right? And so the conservatives always wonder about bringing in these foreigners because they are clearly not conservative, but... <laughs> I would just say, having grown up in an immigrant yeah. community, we are among <laughs> the most conservative. Yeah, that's, like, that's down what, to the racism, right? right, right? Like, right. we like kind of racist. Yeah. Not everyone, but yeah, sure. I, I'm not going to argue that there's no minority immigrant oh, no. that, who isn't racist. Uh, but also, like, with small business owners, uh, very much kind of pull yourself up by the up by the bootstraps kind of mentality. Work hard, keep your head down, law and order types. These are basic values. Not all immigrants have them, but certainly that first generation is. It, there are a lot of common strands here between that and what the Republican Party used to think of as its ethos. Right? Well, I think the Republican Party has outsourced a lot of its thinking these days to far right European and Russian groups, right? Yeah. So they are de- and they are dealing with a completely different dynamic happening in Europe and Russia. Yeah, not, I think that's not a really, really interesting point. But so they're dealing with a, a a core culture, right? That's you know been the same for thousands of years, right? Yeah. And they're dealing helped along by a genocide or two. Yeah, sure, genocides everywhere and yeah. wars and yeah. different languages between you know areas that would be states here, right? No. And so they're for the first time ever dealing with you know new migration into their countries, and uh, so because they're a lot of the far right. And Europe is influencing the far right in America. They've taken on rhetoric and strains of thinking that to them seem badass, right? Yeah. And like real strong and like hardcore and baller. And they, they, they are whipped up into this frenzy regarding a thing that is not even a topic or an issue here. Yeah. Which is the dissolution of cultural identity as a result of migration or right. immigration. Yeah, I, I am su- surprised, and I actually don't know how long this will last, but at some point, some very smart Republicans are going to look at the Latino population and be like, oh, we can flip this, because yeah. they've really done a number, but, I mean, if you look at the numbers that voted for George Bush in the first couple of presidents, I, mean, yeah. I mean, it was closer to 35, it was closer to 40, right? This was not necessarily a population that was lost to the Republican Party. No. And yet the irony is, like, if the entirety of North Africa were to be transplanted all of a sudden into the United States, we'd have Trump forever, right? But if if Norway as a country were to be transported into the United States, we'd be socialist yeah, overnight, right. you know? Right. So it, it's, it, you know, like you said, like, that. Yeah, I mean, being, there are plenty of, like, religious conservatives mm. tend to, I mean, there are a lot of religious conservatives coming from Africa, yeah. right? There's no way. There's it's, it's the it's the reaping of that the evangelical soul sowed yeah. for many years, no, spending even, money there. Even the even the Catholic Church, yeah, they're more sure. they're more conservative elements are African yeah. or, or yeah, East Asian. The, yeah. If you look, if you're in a Catholic Church board meeting right now, it's the only like growth African African numbers, right? It's yeah. where a lot of the money's coming yeah. from. So so culturally, I guess I I just don't un- the arguments that we're now having to refute on the right are deranged because they're not from the American right 
the American, they're from the European right. And it, coming out of the mouths of American intellectuals, it is risible and uh, contemptuous. The, and I would say that a lot of the, the, the classic intellectuals of the right are not... This is one of the, the differences between the pro-Trumpers and the never-Trumpers, right? The never-Trumpers are, are conservative people who didn't want to vote. Who've for, read books, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, like um, like institutions like National Review, right? It's actually headed by an Indian, uh, Ramesh Ponaru, I think is his name, um, as well as um, Seth Mandel at, uh, at, at the New York Post is also pro-immigrant, and also um, uh, Commentary Magazine, those guys tend to be pretty pro-immigrant. So, um, I would say that classic re- uh, Republican or conservative intellectual is a, moderate to pro-immigrant. I think for some reason Trump Trumpism has sucked up in uh, these these fringe intellectuals. It's a minority position in America, and if the right can't see that, it is doomed. This is this is a passing fad. This anti-immigrant nonsense, even if it requires. Old war, it's bloody or violent. America will return to its pro-immigrant status sooner or later. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, the Economist actually had a good point about this: is that um, the anti-immigrant backlash follows periods of relatively high immigration. So this is actually mm-hmm. a, a classic cycle in American history. So I don't know if we'll return without some major upheaval, but uh, this is, we have been in a period of high migration and there's sort of a natural backlash to that, which is unfortunate because I would like us to continue to be pro-immigration, but I don't know social forces being what they are, whether or not we can expect this issue to go away uh, cleanly after Trump is whatever happens to Trump. (laughs) Um, yeah, so do you want to talk about anything outside the bubble? Or? Yeah, I mean, I, uh, so there is, uh, so outside the bubble is our section where we like to talk about uh, sources of media that have kept us interested outside our elitist <laughs> liberal bubble. Um, so I'm going to recommend something, even though it's based in the tri-state area. Uh, it's called, uh, it's a podcast, it's called That Sethany Show. Okay. Uh, uh, and it is a podcast between a couple. Uh, one is uh, Seth Mandel, who I like a lot, okay. New York Post editorial editor, and his wife. Um, um, so they are conservative. They are right, absolutely right. conservative. They're, and they talk about the issues of the day. So one of the things I like about it is actually a couple who literally on their couch. So I like Seth Mandel in general. I like to read his stuff. I don't read his wife's stuff because she's really conservative in a way that I just don't like. She's uh, anti-transgender. Okay. Um, but, um, and she has a number of things, like she you know, she doesn't believe in the Russia probe, but they have a, an interesting dynamic where um, she really likes it. Like, like, and, and, and like they're, they have like this nice kind of couple dynamic where it's, it's cute. And it's certainly very human, right? So like, I don't like her politics, but I do like that relationship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I think it's really important to listen to voices that you disagree with, but are also really human. Like I, I can imagine. I and I imagine this, and and sadly, this doesn't happen that often. But uh, you know, I and my wife would be having dinner with people where you know we just disagree fundamentally with, like in terms of politics, but we can still get along. Yeah, like that's yeah, yeah. that's actually that relationship. Um, so they humanize it. He. Um, and they also like there's a lot of uh, like she's she raises the kids they're like they have three kids and she's like uh, they have a section where they call 
what she calls is like, what the hell is happening? Because she doesn't have a chance to keep up with the news. And so he kind of talks about the news and it's actually a really charming, but you know, it's, it's going to be conservative, but it's also going to be, uh, he's also really well informed. Yeah. And, um, if he, if I disagree with how he thinks about something like Iran, um, I think he argues in good faith. Uh, and so that's always really important. Um, are they Orthodox or? Yes. Yeah. Uh, they're Orthodox. They keep Shabbos. I don't know if they're Orthodox or conservative Jews. Um, so I'm not exactly sure where they're yeah, on yeah. the spectrum, but they're definitely practicing Jews. So, um, yeah, they, oh, and the other thing is they also have a... So it's it's about uh, 50, 40, 50% politics, uh, and then a, like a uh, in just random shit too, but also they have a pop culture section. <laughs> and she's actually... She's got a pretty good feel for... They both have a pretty good feel for pop culture. Actually. <laughs> youths. Yeah, <laughs> youths. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah, no. Well, that brings us to the end of another uh, room of requirements. Yeah.